Welcome to episode 185 of Speaking of Mysteries. I'm Nancy Clare, and joining me is Jess Montgomery, who's The Hollows, her second mystery featuring Sheriff Lily Ross, and her friend Marvina Whitcomb has just been published. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Tell me that I pronounced Marvina correctly. You did. Okay. <laughs> That's how I pronounce it. Before we go too far, I think we should mention that at the time frame for this novel, that the time frame for this novel is the mid-1920s. Not that women sheriffs are a dime of dozen even now, but almost 100 years ago, uh, after The Hollows takes place, there are still very few. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, in Ohio, the first woman sheriff who was the inspiration for Lily um, was a woman named Maud Collins. She became sheriff in 1925 when her husband uh, died in the line of duty. Um, and then she uh, was elected in her own right in 1926. And then the next female sheriff in Ohio was in 1976. That's a, so 50 years. Yeah. Before the next female, I'm sure there were female police officers, perhaps deputy sheriffs, but the next elected female sheriff in Ohio was 50 years later. I really enjoyed reading The Hollows. I have a decided soft spot for historical mysteries, but I thought The Hollows was one of the most thought-provoking mysteries I've read in a long, long time. And it made me feel two things at the same time, that there are no such thing as small stories, and our history, the history of the United States, is all around us. So I want to ask you if you can talk about some of the novel's historical underpinnings with these two ideas in mind. So I love that your comment about um, how history is all around us. And um, it can be found in the most remote places. You know, when I was researching this series to begin with, my first move was to um, get a book about the 1920s in general and um, to, to try to, you know, kind of give context for the fact, you know, that I was writing in the 1920s. And I um, was stunned to kind of, I mean, perhaps I shouldn't have been, to realize that all the history that uh, I could read in general books was about cities. So I started digging into local history um, and, and, you know, discovered lots of details besides the fact of a first female sheriff. And, and certainly for 1926, I was stunned to learn about several things. Uh, locally, the, the train tunnel where so many people died in Moonville Village, um, which I rename as Moonvale and um, about the insane asylum, as it was called back then, um, and as, as well about an organization that was the Women's KKK, which was quite shocking to me. It took me a while to get my head around um, and to realize that that would have been part of what was going on, certainly if not directly where I've set um, my novels, but nearby. The other thing that struck me was how little has actually changed for working mothers. Um, <laughs> Lily's husband, Daniel, the previous sheriff, uh, was killed in the line of duty, and that's part of the, the debut novel of this series, The Widows. And so Lily has to rely on sort of a mosaic of friends and family for childcare. 
as well as, you know, keep up with society's expectations of her (laughs) as a woman and her place in, in kinship, Ohio, um, and has her doing things like staying up late to bake a pie. It's exhausting. (laughs) It's exhausting. Yes. As I was, you know, thinking about this, um, even in writing the widows, but certainly in the hollows, you know, I've, I've always worked, um, and I'm blessed to be married to a wonderful man who very much wanted to take care of the kids as much as I did. So, um, you know, and he's thankfully still alive and among us. I'm not a widow. (laughs) So between the two of us and occasional daycare, it was pretty easy to be able to handle being a working mom. But then I thought, well, you know, Lily's husband, Daniel, would not have felt that way. Um, and there were no daycares. So who could she rely on? It has to be friends, maybe neighbors, and her mother, Mama. So um, I really kind of build Mama as that character. And actually, I base her on a little bit um, a great aunt of mine who never married um, and, and, and so never had children of her own, but um, lived for a long time with my Aunt Opal. Um, who had a full-time career from World War II forward. And so that aunt, that great aunt, was kind of a live-in nanny for my Aunt Opal. And, you know, setting a place called Kinship, which I purposefully, you know, created that name because um, I wanted to show that mosaic, as you say, of interconnections. And, you know, Lily's at the center of it, but relationships make up so much of the life there. Um, so yeah. And then in terms of the pie, well, you know, it's great you're running for sheriff lady, but you still got to submit your pie <laughs> What to the county fair. <laughs> what mom hasn't had to stay up to bake something for some event. Right. Uh, right. Maybe not the county fair, but something. Yes. Yeah. It's parent teacher day. Uh, you name it. Bake sales. One of the friends uh, of Lily's is Hildy Cooper. And in yes. fact, the story's narrative toggles between Lily and Hildy. You know, the, you shift the perspective, the point of view. And Lily is definitely suffering from overwork, stress, grief, and exhaustion. But Hildy is suffering too. And mm-hmm. uh, from what I would call expectations, her mother's expectations, her erstwhile fiancé Merle's expectations, <laughs> uh, expectations from the man she actually loves, uh, mm-hmm. Lily's expectations, and, and maybe most importantly, her own. And it, what struck me in reading this was it's so easy for Hildy to be diminished in her own eyes. And I identified with that, and I think a lot of women would identify with that. Well, yes, Hildy, Hildy is what we, we wouldn't have used the term back in 1926, but now we might say she's a bit of a people pleaser, and she, she wants to please the people around her, not just because she doesn't have her own personality, but because she very much cares about them, and she cares what they think about her. And, you know, she was engaged to Lily's brother, Roger, and would have happily fulfilled all those expectations and roles um, had he not died in, in what they would have called the Great War um, and would have been a very happily traditional wife. But, and she was also in love with him. So it wasn't her just forcing herself into a role. It was a role that she would have accepted gladly. 
Becky passed away. And so she's been uh, single in, in her own way, widowed all this time. And she's still trying to push herself into those expectations with one man, but also realizing she wants the love that she felt with Roger with another man. And it's not really a love triangle so much as it is Hildy having to figure out how to come into her own person. Um, I think her arc isn't about who does she choose. It's about how does she choose herself by the end. Exactly. And the, the pressure on her, you know, she, she, and I think many of us have had a friend like Lily who seems from the outside to have it all together. And part of this was a communication issue. Hildy felt that Lily was being, uh, impatient with her and, Lily felt that Hildy just needed space and time. So here, here's this miscommunication between these two close friends that fuels many elements of the story. And, and I, I, I also found that a very interesting way to construct it. At, at one point, Hildy does something very, very dangerous uh, yes. to, to try to help Lily because... Uh, Hildy is, is a deputy sheriff. Uh, Lily has deputized her to help her. I think that was in the last book. Am I correct? Right. She, um, yeah, Lily had to deputize several men and women and just didn't undeputize uh, a couple of them. So, which worked out well for me. <laughs> so as, as you know, Lily sort of feels that she did that in a, in a more or less a casual sense and expediency. Hildy actually takes it very, very seriously. She does, yeah. And wants, and, and that's not recognized. And so I don't want to make this sound like it's a soap opera-ish thing, because it's <laughs> not. It's, it's the struggle of human beings to find worth in their own existence. And I think that that was difficult for both of your main characters in this book. I think, I think so. And, and yes, um, Hildy does... Um, she does take a chance that is not only dangerous, I would even say reckless, but it's born of this desperation, like I said earlier, to kind of come into who she is. Um, and she wants to be as strong as she sees as she sees Lily and Marvina, who does play a pretty big role in this novel as well. And of course, Lily, yeah, there is that issue of communication, but the strictures of the time and expectations of the time would be, well, you mourn, but you mourn in a proper way and you mourn for a certain amount of time and you don't talk about your feelings, you know? Exactly. And, and a lot of this book, you know, Lily is now actually running for the office of sheriff. She's, she assumed the office after her husband was killed in the line of duty. Not uncommon. As you said, her, the model for the character, that's how it happened. But now she's actually running for sheriff against uh, a guy named Perry and his <laughs> wife, Margaret. And we'll get to them in a second. And this idea of, like you talked about, uh, dealing with grief and expectations, and um, now we would say maybe that's women's empowerment. But women's empowerment is complex. A group of women in Kinship, Ohio, have banded together, and you mentioned this before, for the WKKK, or Women of the Ku Klux Klan. And yes, it's a way for them to make their voices heard, but it demonstrates that some of the country's worst elements were not (laughs) gender-specific. 
in other words, men don't have the monopoly on evil in the hollows. <laughs> they do not. <laughs> and I will be honest and admit that when I first read about this organization, which was an organization in its own right, had chapters in every established state of, of the time, um, I was shocked. And my first thought, frankly, was, well, women don't think like that and act like that, <laughs> um, which is silly, which is absolutely silly. But it was kind of my own bubble, my own bias towards my own gender. Like, we're above that. Uh, and most men are too, but a few aren't. And uh, so it was a real, I think, important little wake-up call for me. And once once I, like you say, recognized that, of course, evil is not gender-specific um, and got over my own um, bubble, so to speak, I realized I can't not include this in this book. And it's it's interesting because I also pull in the Underground Railroad, which was a, a big part of that area, um, and and you know people who think very um, not in that way. So so yes, it, it was interesting to pull in the history of the Underground Railroad, which of course would have taken place well before um, my novel is set, but people would have had awareness. Um, and I bring in some some Quakers who definitely <clears throat> their ancestors were part of the Underground Railroad. Um, but I also bring in a man named Richard C. Davis, who along who was African American, and along with another African American man and several white men, established like in the 1890s the United Mine Workers. And Richard C. Davis was from that area as well. So like you were saying earlier, there's a whole mosaic of people, but there's also this whole mosaic of, of attitudes and viewpoints. Um, so it's just really interesting to kind of weave all those together to try to show, you know, real life in um, a very remote place, but, but a place that nevertheless reflects big movements of ideas and, and change. Well, and the other thing, uh, you mentioned the Quakers or, or the Society of Friends, and even though they have a reputation for being very supportive of the Underground Railroad, there was the, the, the law of 1850, the Fugitive Slave Law of 1850, was very punitive, and people mm -hmm. uh, could go to prison for assisting uh, runaway slaves. And so there was, there was schisms even within the Quakers. And then, of course, you, the, the wonderful motivator of many, many really good mysteries, secrets and lies. And, and you certainly have a trove of secrets and lies at the heart of this story, which, you know, draw in the ideas of faith and racism and and living a lie and trying to present yourself as something that you are not. And I don't want to introduce any spoilers, but I think that that's a fair assessment, and I hope you agree. I do agree. Thank you for that. You also touched on this, too. Uh, the Hollows confronts two issues uh, that were active. You talk about the, the end of the war, uh, the end of the Civil War. And, of course, in 1926... There are still people alive that were alive during the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And so the two issues that are very much with us that I thought made your book very timely, and that's 
racism mm -hmm. and the treatment of mental health. And in the case of mental health, once again, women seem to bear the brunt of overzealous treatment and, and <laughs> the commitment to this insane asylum that is features in your story is often a disguise for removing an inconvenient woman. This is very true. Um, yeah, back then it was possible to go to, be, to you know, be sent to an asylum because, well, you have hysteria or you're going through the change and maybe, you know, your hot flashes make you a little more irritable than people around you might like. Um, but of course, people were also sent because of, you know, true mental health issues. Um, and it was fascinating to me to visit the facility that I write about, which is no longer a facility. It's it, the, the asylum, um, as it was called then, um, was closed, I think, in the by the early 1980s. So it stayed in existence for, for quite a while um, in various numbers of residents. But it was interesting to go and visit this building, which is quite beautiful, frankly. It's, the architecture is stunning. The grounds are gorgeous. Um, and to take a, a walking tour with a local historian and a man who had worked um, at, at the facility when it was still a mental health facility. And it was kind of cool because at the very beginning he said, okay, if anybody's here to uh, learn about ghost stories or gory things that happened here in the past, that's not what this tour is about. So you can just leave now. And half the people, almost half the people did. <laughs> and I was glad because what he really focused on was not just the history of that particular facility, but of the mental health um, his treatment history. And it was really touching me to me to realize, you know, the treatments that we would see as barbaric and that were barbaric or that were thoughtless were truly they were doing the best they could with what they knew at the time. And it was also interesting to recognize that in real life, this facility, different uh, towns competed to have have it in their own backyard because it meant jobs. And not only did it mean jobs, but it meant a beautiful park because there was no park system. So it meant a beautiful park where people could go and stroll and have picnics. So Lily would have, when she was you know, a kid, definitely gone there to hang out with her parents and her brother, who would have been alive at the time, on a special day to have a, have a picnic on the grounds of the insane asylum where residents were wandering around and you know, under supervision, but we're also getting fresh air because the theory was the more you were connected with nature, which I would argue is probably true, um, the, the better your mental health would be. And, and nature was kind of the mental health treatment that was available at the time. So, um, And, and the, the facility in your book was actually, I, I found it very touching because it was um, created not as a punitive place, but as a place to treat uh, veterans of the Civil War uh, yes. that had what we would now call PTSD, and in, absolutely in the way that you describe, uh, quiet uh, nature walks, and and I found that kind of enlightening. What happened afterwards, not so much, but that right, I found enlightening. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Um, PTSD would not have been named even well past World War II. So 
Um, but definitely soldiers would have, you know, humans are humans, no matter when or where they live. So they would have had the same reactions um, that, that people would now, of course. And of course, in the Great War, it would have been called shell shock. Um, so, you know, there was some recognition as the time went on that this is this is a true, true thing. But yeah, it was very touching to spend some time on those grounds and, and learn the history and, and then go back and research and read and confirm what I learned on the tour. And of course, the secrets of the past, uh, you know, that that's the that's the backbone of any mystery and the secrets of the past come uh, by the time the novel concludes, the secrets of the past have come out. And yes. Lily, Lily treats them in her usual even-handed fashion. Um, she still has to face an election, and the town of Kinship is growing, so she's going to have to make some changes, which leads right. me into our next, my next question, which is um, that what's up for for Lily in, in the next book? I hope there is going to be a next book. <laughs> Funny you should ask. I'm working on it, uh, not as we speak, but <laughs> before and after we speak. <laughs> Um, there will be at least books three and four. I'm, I'm very blessed and lucky to have a new contract with Minotaur Books for the next two. Um, and so I'm jumping ahead to 1927. Um, and I'll just say that Prohibition has been in place for quite a while and kind of in the background and hinted at, but not fully explored. So I'm taking a look at that in uh, the next novel. Well, that gives us something to look forward to. Uh, Jess Montgomery, thank you again for talking to us about uh, your new book, The Hollows, which is the second in the series featuring Lily Ross, Lady Sheriff. I think it's okay (laughs) to call her Lady Sheriff. Absolutely. Uh, We look forward to the next book, so thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for having me.